I hope that it's been an encouraging service for you so far, and um, uh, it's my privilege to be able to lead us around God's Word for the next few minutes. Now, our mission here at SEC is following Jesus, transforming lives. But this year, 2024, we are going to be having a focus on deeper, on going deeper with God, and there's some implications for that for each of our lives, but it's all about... Um, coming to know and understand and experience the boundless riches that there are in Christ, which is Ephesians 3 verse 8. It refers to that there. And so as we set forth on this focus on deeper, for this week and next week, we're going to be looking at this area of generosity and giving. Then we're going to be going through the Beatitudes in the lead up to Easter to see what that has to say to us as a church. And then after Easter, we'll be looking at lots of other topics which would relate to us going deeper in our faith, things like worship and repentance and forgiveness, mission, things like that. So that's where we're going to be going probably over the next six months or so as a church. I'd like to start with some uh, good news now, and that is we exceeded our church budget for January. So that's very encouraging. You'll notice in the church news we always uh, just identify there uh, where we're sitting in terms of our budget, and so we're still a little bit down there, but thank you so much for your faithfulness in contributing to the ministries of our church. The way we put our budget together is we work it out based on the ministries of our church and how we will fund all of, the, all of that and the opportunities we have to be ministering to people here in our community, but also in the community around us as well. And so... Uh, thank you for your faithfulness in that. We are uh, very interested in knowing what you have to say about this, and so on the back of our church news, you can see a QR code there which links you to a survey. And so we invite all of you to uh, go either to the link that you received in the email on Friday or scan this on your phone, and if you can't do it electronically, we have paper copies at the information desk. Uh, you just need to fill it out today and leave it at the info desk so that we can enter that into the survey. We'd really appreciate if you could fill it out. It only takes five, ten minutes, and we'll give you the results next week when Steve uh, continues this series and preaches on this as well. Now, why are we starting off with generosity and giving? Well, we don't talk about this very often. The last time I preached on it was July 2019. So if you're new to the church, we don't talk about finances every week. That's intentional because that can be a bit overdone at some churches. Maybe we could talk more about finances in terms of our discipleship, but certainly today is one of those days where we're going to be talking about this. And I think that this area of finances, more than any other, probably does demonstrate the level of trust and faith that we have in God, or on the other hand, the possible fear that we might have about a future we may face where we won't feel like we've got enough. Now, I've had to learn this personally in my own life. Our family didn't have very much money as I was growing up, and so that issue of having enough was always at the front of my mind as a young person. And so our family would go on holidays, but I would stay at my part-time, I'd stay home and work at my part-time job. I actually literally worked right through my schoolies week after grade 12. My friends went off to schoolies, but I felt like it would cost too much money, and so I just worked at my part-time job through that. Because of that fear of just not having enough in life. Now, I knew I should tithe as a young person growing up here at Southport, and so I tithed sometimes, most of the time probably. I contributed to mission 
At times, I tried to be generous to a point, but there was, I guess, as I grew in my faith, God invited me, like he invites all of us, to go deeper in him, particularly in this area of finances, and to be able to trust him with that and grow in having a generous kind of spirit. It took me some time. And I wonder for you how you go with that. Do you ever get stressed about not having enough money like I did? If you do, you're not alone. Mark McCrindle and his organisation do research in Australia of the different generations, and he's done some recent research, and he looks at the different generations and their attitudes to different things. And I just wanted to show a few of these infographics. So Gen Z, um, some of their top hopes is to own their own home, which is becoming more and more difficult in Australian time. Next one, 63, if you go back to that last one, sorry, 63% of Gen Z have that as their top hope, that they might own their own home. Secondly, next top hope is to have full financial freedom and independence, 59%. But if you look down at their top fears, the top one is, I won't have enough money to live comfortably. 58% of them feel that fear. Let's move on to the next one. So Gen Z, moving on to Gen Y, uh, so just a little bit older. So their top hopes, to have full financial freedom and independence, 63% again. Um, want to travel and see the world, pursue interests and hobbies. Their top fear, again, I won't have enough money to live comfortably, 59%, um, is, yeah, the top fear. Let's go on to the next generation, Gen X, which is where I sit. I didn't know I looked like that. Um, <laughs> doesn't look very happy. So have full financial freedom and independence, 66%. So that's the, they have a bit more hope around that. Their top fear is, I won't have enough money to live comfortably, 67%, much more than those other two generations. So Gen Xs feel that quite keenly. Let's go on to the, the next one. Boomers, so again, a bit older again. So to have full, the top hope to have full financial freedom and independence, 59%, so not as much as the Gen Xs. And if you come down to the top fears, won't have enough money to live comfortably, 55% of people feel that way. So this is something that a lot of Australians struggle with that they won't have enough money to live comfortably. And then, so how does that then play out in our life in terms of our faith and just our general stress and anxiety that we have around finances? Do you think it's possible that we can live a life where finances don't control us? Is it possible, do you think, where the next big bill comes in and doesn't just trigger a wave of anxiety or despair about how you're going to... To, to pay that bill. Do you think that it's possible we can live a life where we can fully trust God? Do you think we can live a life where we can give to meet the needs of others when God prompts us and just to have such a freedom and a flow with that? Do you think we can have a life where we can bring our offerings to God with joy as an act of worship rather than it being like a duty and an obligation? All of us have an invitation from God to go deeper in our generosity and our giving. I think this is a key area, as I've said, and it's my hope today that this message will be an encouragement to you, uh, because if we can get this, then I think we can live with a much greater sense of hope and peace in terms of going deeper with God in this area of generosity. So what does God require of us in this whole area? Let's start with what many consider to be a key passage which talks about this. We're looking in Mark 12, and the verses will be here behind me. 
Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put, in, put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. And so Jesus has come right near to the end of his ministry, and these are literally the last words that he says in a public setting. After this, it's only teaching, private teaching with his disciples. And he could see that the rich were giving large amounts, but the widow only gave a small amount. Now, Jesus could see the heart of the giver, and he identified that she'd put in all she had to live on. And many preachers and commentators look at this and they say, oh, isn't that lovely? Uh, you know, in Jesus has just been spending time denouncing the religious leaders and the scribes, the Pharisees, pronouncing woes upon them. And then we've got this little window of light and faithful stewardship. Isn't that lovely? This is how we should uh, live. And so they, in many commentaries, they say, Jesus wants you to be like this widow. The rich gave out of their wealth. So it's of no value, but this Poor widow, Jesus knew that she gave to what hurt, so be like her. I don't actually think that this is what Jesus was doing. I don't think he was affirming this widow doing this. I think he was actually highlighting the very toxic nature of the religious culture of the time and the way that worship had devolved to this level of abuse. So let's back it up a little bit to understand the context. So from verse 37 it says this, the large crowd listened to him with delight. As I said, this is the last public teaching Jesus is doing. He's in the temple, and the people loved listening to Jesus' teaching. They listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces, have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Now, the, the religious leaders of the time were, were living like this. They had all the pretense going on, um, even all their virtue signaling. We know what that term means these days. They're, at the, they're, they're, they're making lengthy prayers. Look, at, look how virtuous I am, my long prayers. Look at my robes and all of this. And of those different things, being, having flowing robes or being greeted in the marketplaces, having the most important seats in the synagogues. None of those are wrong in themselves, but one of those things is definitely a sin. They devour widows' houses, showing that they care nothing for all that the Old Testament says about caring for the most vulnerable in a community. I think it's relevant that that verse comes right before a widow giving literally all that she had to live on. Wouldn't you agree? The context shows that, that they, I think those things kind of go together. Um, it's almost like an object lesson. Now, we typically assume that Jesus sees the widow giving her two small coins and says, look at this widow, go and do likewise. But Jesus doesn't say that. What did he say what he, he said is he emphasised that the widow put in literally all she had to live on. She put in everything she had. And so this, is, this whole scene here where Jesus points out this widow is an example of injustice, not generosity. She may have had an obedient heart, but Jesus 
cared more about correcting the corruption of the time because God's people were meant to be caring for the poor, not taking from them. Now, you think about it. If we had a widow here at Southport Church of Christ and we found out that on a Sunday morning, let's say today, she gave her last literal $10, all she had to live on, because she felt that that's what God wanted of her, to give her last $10, and then she was going to go home and starve for the week. What would we do as a church? If we found out about that, we're going to want to give that money back to her, and we're going to want to come around here and give her more resources so that she can get by. And we're going to want her to know that it's actually about the cross that we have a position with God and not in giving our last $10 and starving for the rest of the week. We don't earn um, our position with God or standing or merit with him. It's all been done, the finished work of the cross. And so she doesn't have to give of her last $10 and starve. We would want her to know that because that's not how God works. Well, if that isn't a good place to learn about generosity... And giving, then let's find some other places. And there's plenty of other places. We'll look at some of those and see what God has to say to us in this. And I'd encourage you, if you have a pen or some paper, write down the promises that you see here in these verses. Because promises are given so that we can we can claim them, we can hold on to them, we can trust them. So firstly, here's a good starting point. Going deeper with God in generosity brings freedom. It brings us freedom. Someone has said, God doesn't want the money in your pocket. He wants the idol in your heart. It's not like money is what God runs on. Doesn't he own the cattle on a thousand hills? He doesn't need your money. He doesn't run on money. But what he wants to do is to help you and I to root out the idols that are in our heart that we are trusting in, that we are enslaved to. Look at these words from Hebrews 13, verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Something which is interesting here in the original language, it's very emphatic. There's five negatives in this. You could literally read it as, I will never, ever, under any circumstances, fail to be there for you. So that's a, that's a first promise. You could write that one down. Um, isn't that awesome and amazing that God is a, our provider? He will provide for us, and we don't need to view money as our saviour. When I was pastoring in Bundaberg, Steve referred to it, did some pastoring there. I knew a man in Bundaberg who did some itinerant preaching. He would go around little Australian country towns and preach the gospel. And in one particular place there was a man who wanted to be baptised, and so he was preparing to baptise him in the river. And as, they, uh, as the man was wading out into the river to uh, get baptised, he remembered that he left his wallet in his pants pocket. And so as he went down to join the, this preacher, he took his, his wallet out and he held it up like this. And, and the guy said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I don't want it to get wet, so I'm just holding it up out of the water. In his mind, he was thinking he was going to get baptised and he was going to hold his wallet up above the water. And the preacher said, no, no, that needs to be baptised too. And so he made him put it back in his pocket and the whole lot got baptised all at once. So he let him baptise them wallet and all. It was an object lesson that God was not just his saviour but his provider. Now, if we allow our wallets to get baptised as well, we can be free from fear when we think about the future. 
God invites us to be generous and to look to him as our provider rather than looking to the future in fear and worry, like I did as a young person. And he's promised that he will never, ever, under any circumstances, fail to be there for you. That's in the context of keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. So we can trust him with this. Write that promise down if you haven't already. We're somewhere else that we can look. Going deeper, secondly, going deeper with God and generosity, it protects our heart. Protects our heart. I once took Donna's car that she had at the time down to the mechanic. It needed a new clutch to get fitted. And when I was there at the mechanic's workshop, I noticed that there was a car that was there that I'd seen there previously on another occasion. And so I spoke to the mechanic and said, oh, that car's back in again. It must need a lot of work to be done, hey? And he said, no, no, that car has been there the whole time. Uh, it, it does need some work, but um, there's no rush. The owner said he's got other cars he uses anyway. So it can take plenty of time. And as the mechanic said that, I thought of Jesus' words in Matthew 6. He said, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, there are some people who have so many cars that they literally can't drive all their cars. There's some people that have so many clothes that they're getting eaten by moths because they literally can't get around to wearing all of their clothes. There's so many people that have so much jewellery, silver and gold, that it's corroding and tarnishing because they can't get around to wearing all of their jewellery. Now, we can all tend towards some addictive kind of behaviour. If we're not collecting cars, we're collecting stamps. But what Jesus is getting at here is where you, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And he wants us to protect our heart. And this kind of abundance where we collect things that we don't use, we don't need, it puts our heart in danger about where we find our treasure. You mightn't have a car to give away, but I wonder if you've got extra clothes that you could give to an op shop or something like that. And if you do that, here's the trick, put in two or three of your favourite ones as well. If you want to break the power of money and possessions over your life, I don't know of any better way than just to give it away. I was talking with my boy Josh recently, and uh, he was, he'd been looking at his bank account, and he was wondering why it had gone down so much recently. And then he said, oh, I remember. Um, the last 12 times that I've been going through a drive through whether it's Macca's or Starbucks or something, I paid for the person behind me. That's why it's gone down so much. And then he told me about the last person that he'd paid for behind him, which was a little old lady, and she got out of her car and tottered towards him and thanked him profusely at his window for uh, paying for her order as well as his own. It's so encouraging to see people growing in life and in their faith, but being willing to be generous and finding their treasure in God. Now, it's not about setting a rule that we have to pay for the person behind us in the, the drive through but it's about who you are. It's about the person that you are becoming. And every action that you take is a vote for the kind of person that you want to be. Do you want money to be your treasure, your security? Or do you want to be a generous kind of person who's on the lookout for opportunities to be generous and being creative about being generous? I love this quote from Corrie ten Boom. 
She said, I have learned not to hold on to things in this life too tightly because it hurts when God pries my fingers loose from them. Because God loves us too much to allow us to hold on to those things. And if we're still holding and he's trying to pry them out of our clutched fingers, that can hurt sometimes. How much better to hold it with an open hand before the Lord? How do we learn how to loosen our grip on possessions and let God use what we have to be a blessing? I don't know of any better way than to start giving it away. A third area we can look in this is going deeper with God in our generosity is a pleasing offering. A pleasing offering. There's some uh, verses, a, a verse from Philippians here which will help us to see how our generosity helps to bring acceptable worship. So Paul's writing to this church at Philippi and he says, I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. Look at the language. He's referring to it as if it's like an animal which was slaughtered on the altar and burned up and given as a sacrifice to God. People have given some money, but he's saying that God receives it just like that. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. There's a big difference between according to and out of. We don't have time to look at that, but I find the use of language here, he'll meet all your needs according to his glorious riches, is significant. But there's another promise right there. Can you see it? Write it down. Make sure you write it down. Now, Paul was acknowledging that this giving that the church in Philippi had done was an act of worship. And you'll often hear us say that bringing a tithe to the Lord is an act of worship. We're, pre- we're presenting the, the attitude of our heart through us bringing a tithe. I like what the pastor and author John Piper has to say about generosity and giving with this. He gave a message about tithing, and he believes very strongly that there is a place for us giving 10% of our income as an act of worship. Because when we do this, it doesn't deny... You know, it doesn't say that, hey, God, you have 10% and the other 90% is mine. It doesn't deny that all our money is God's. It actually proves it. It proves that if we're going to give the first fruits of our income, that God actually has the rights to the whole thing. This tenth is yours, God, because all of it is yours. So in terms of personally myself, I think that a tithe is the first thing that we should take out of our income when it hits the bank. Um, and when you do that, you're putting a seal over what is left there to say it's God's. And the tithe is like a constant reminder of that. Now, ultimately, God knows our heart. Because what you and I do with every cent that we have says something about our view of God. It says something about what he means to us. It says something about what our values are. And what we do with every cent shows what we think our few years on earth should be spent for. Here's another area we can see in God's word which guides us with generosity. Number four, going deeper with God in our generosity is good stewardship. So we've each got a differing level of means, of wealth, and so we have different responsibilities. Look at these verses from Luke 12. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded, And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So we are all just merely stewards of all that God has given to us. You and I are stewards. 
we are to steward what has been given to us, to use it for kingdom purposes. Now, when we go back to that illustration, that story of um, the widow giving her last two cents, and you had the wealthy people giving huge amounts off the top out of their surplus. If we were to apply this particular verse, then maybe the, the widow who um, only had two cents, maybe she gave too much. And maybe those wealthy people who were putting large amounts in, maybe they were giving too little. God knows their heart because for everyone who's been given much, much will be demanded or required. I'd just like to point out here, there's a huge difference between a mindset of ownership or a mindset of stewardship. So the person who has this ownership mindset, we see this all over the place in our society. This is the person who says, my life is mine, I call the shots, I don't answer to anyone, I'm my own boss. My things and my money are mine. And who cares if my clothes get eaten up by moths? Or who cares if my jewellery gets corroded? Or who cares if my car's just rust out, because they're mine, and don't tell me what I should do with my own things that I earned with my own sweat of my brow. I earned those things. They're mine, and I deserve it. That's an ownership mindset. But you contrast that with a stewardship mindset, which is what we see in the Bible. This mindset is very different. It says, I am entrusted. I am the Lord's. My very life belongs to him, and whether I'm awake or asleep, I belong to him. And so my things or my money are the Lord's. And he's given me things to bless others. So a need comes up and you need something, then no problem because I just want to bless other people because God has blessed me. If I have resources someone else needs, then they can have them because I want to make the best use of what has been entrusted to me, God. I just want to grow your kingdom, not mine. That's the heart of the steward. Now, you might be thinking, well, if I had as much money as some people, then it would be no problem for me to be generous. You know, some people seem to be so wealthy, it's easy for them to be generous, but for me, it's harder. You need to know that it's not about winning the lotto, it's not about getting a high-paying job and then you can be generous, it's about what you do with it right now. There's a story I really want to tell, I'm looking at the time and it's racing away from me, but I just want to honour this particular story and what happened. So a few months back, my wife Donna felt like God had laid on her heart to fund ministry to the churches and just in the community in a particular way. Her idea was to start a fund and then invite people to donate to it, and then that money could be invested and then the interest which is earned would go towards supporting projects in ministry and mission. And she was going to call it the Legacy Fund. And Donna and I were intending just to put a few thousand in there just to get it started so there wouldn't be nothing in there when she started approaching people about it. She uh, spoke to the leadership team at Kenmore about it. Um, A week later, the leadership team came together and they were just really seeking God and affirming God, whatever we have is yours. We're asking you to provide God because whatever we have belongs to you. The very next day, somebody came into the Kenmore office And uh, they were passed on to Donna to talk to. They wanted to donate some money to Churches of Christ in Queensland, but they didn't know how. And after Donna laid a few options out to them, they decided they wanted to invest in the Legacy Fund. And they wanted to put in $550,000 into that. (laughs) But God had just laid it on this person's heart to come in and just drop that amount 
And so that was able to be put into the legacy fund to earn interest, which could then support ministry and mission. Now, God had planned that all along and kind of let Donna in on the secret, but this was discovered bit by bit along the way. You know, that's a great opportunity for a hallelujah right there. <laughs> right? The thing is, that happened last November, and since then, that man has died. It was unexpected. He couldn't take it with him, but he was able to send it on ahead of him. That's what it means to be a steward and to respond to God's leading. To use the resources that you have received to be a blessing to other people. He couldn't take it with him, none of us can, but he could send it on ahead of him. And he did that in time, while there was still time. Generosity is good stewardship. One more story. Indulge me, please. As I said before, when I was growing up, our family didn't have very much money. Dad was a floor tiler, ceramic tiles, and our income as a family was completely dependent on people paying him for the work that he did, and quite often they didn't pay on time. Sometimes they didn't even pay at all. And I remember mum and dad always being very generous. We always had bomby cars, but they always were generous with their time and their money, always. And I wonder if they ever had any doubts. God, have you forgotten about our family? There was literally times we had no money for clothes. Us kids were growing up really quick, growing out of all of our clothes, and sometimes people would literally bring us clothes because we couldn't afford to buy them or shoes. Um, another time, the jobs Dad had done hadn't been paid, and we literally had no money for food. We had no money until he was going to get paid. We didn't have any food. But there was a man at this church who was an electrician, and he was called to do a job for a butcher because his freezers had stopped working. He had all this meat which was thawing out, and it was going to have to be chucked out. And so uh, he had a prompting in his heart to take two chickens, which were half defrosted, and bring them over to us and give it to us as a family. And so we were able to cook up those chickens, and we had food. We went from nothing to roast chicken. How good is that? God can do that. We live that out in our family. You might be thinking, if I try to be more generous with God and other people, who's going to take care of me? God will take care of you. God will do that. So going deeper with God and generosity, it brings us freedom. It protects our heart. It's a pleasing offering, and it's good stewardship. So as we consider this surrender of our finances to God, of being this generous person and going deeper in this way, I wonder for you this morning if there's something that you need to lay down. Some selfishness, perhaps? Some worldly priorities? Some pride and comparison you have with other people, perhaps? Some mistrust that God might not take care of you and you've got fear around that? Because as we progress with this vision of deeper this year, I wonder what it could look like for you to be a more generous person. How might trusting in God's future provision for you help you to go deeper with God, particularly in this area? Because this is such a key area of living out our faith, and when we, we move into this, go deeper with this, it up, opens up a whole new range of possibilities. As Ephesians 3 says, it gives opportunities for God to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Now, I wonder if God might have spoken to you about something this morning. If so, I'd just like to give you a few moments just to be alone with the Lord and your thoughts, and then I'll close this time in prayer. Let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, we recognise that you are no man's debtor, Lord, that no one can outgive you, that when we set our heart to be a generous person, Lord, that we find that you are truly the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that you are able to meet any need that we have. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage this week just to take a risk, to uh, open our eyes, Lord, that you would help us to see the opportunities that are around us, to be generous, and to allow those resources that you have given us, Lord, as a good steward, to allow those to flow out to other people who are in need. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.